and welcome to another in the Predictable Success series of audio podcasts in which we're speaking with outstanding leaders who have personally attained predictable success in their chosen field. I'm Les McEwen, President and CEO of Predictable Success, and today I'm delighted to be talking with Howard Bihar. Howard is the former president of Starbucks and the author of a great book, It's Not About the Coffee, Leadership Principles from a Life at Starbucks. Howard's book and the principles he's developed over a long and highly successful career are hugely complementary to predictable success, and so I'm delighted to have him join us today. Welcome, Howard. Thank you, Les. It's great to have you here. Howard, um, most of us know you from the great work that you did at Starbucks over a long period of time, but tell us a little bit about your background, how you got to Starbucks, and, and what you learned about leadership and success on the way there. Well, you know, I started in family businesses, and uh, I came from a very entrepreneurial family. Uh, father, all small businesses. Father was had a small mom and pop grocery store, and brothers had, and brother-in-law were had small furniture stores. And so I kind of grew up, you know, in a very entrepreneurial type organizations. And I started working really when I was about 13 years old, and uh, learning firsthand what it took to to make a small business work and and how to lead a small business. And, you know, over the years, I had uh, great opportunities to learn from lots of people. And and when I hit my early 20s, I decided to leave family business and uh, kind of venture out on my own and see what I could do. And along the way, uh, you know, there were individuals that came into my life that uh, taught me a lot of things, sometimes things that I, that I didn't ever want to do and sometimes things that I wanted to copy. And um, one time in my life, I uh, was working for a company called Grand Tree Furniture Rental, and I reported to a guy named Jim Jensen. And probably of all the people, he was the one that most changed my life because he was the one that was constantly challenging me, challenging me, and and um, setting examples of what leadership looked like. And so, you know, he moved me in from being kind of a unconscious competent. Uh, in terms of leadership and to being a conscious competent and, and making me want to strive to be better. Did you did you find the distinction between family business and, and not family business to be distinct, or were there similarities in both? Well, the similarities were that uh, what it took to uh, uh, be financially successful, you know, it's uh, – those things don't change. Uh, right. You know, of course, the differences are in family businesses that it is family, you know, and it's uh, you're not only working together, but then you're going to home at night and eating at the same dinner table together and, and talking. Right. You know, the conversation never ends about business. Yeah, and it, it, uh, it puts a little... Uh a little bit of discreet barrier about, about how you can deal with conflict as well because, you know, as you say, you've got to go home and talk to those people when you're done. Exactly. And uh, tell me a bit more about Jim. What, what what did you learn? What most stands out that you learned from him? Well, you know, Jim um, was an interesting guy and is an interesting guy. You know, he was constantly searching himself, you know, and, and trying to learn and trying to be better at um, at what he was doing, at being a leader. And I'd spent a lot of years in the home furnishings industry, and I thought that it was, you know, that it was furniture that I loved. And one day, Jim came up to me, and he asked a question that I'd never been asked before. And he said, well, Howard, what do you love more, people or furniture? And, you know, it kind of stunned me at the time. You know, it sounds like a simple question, but it wasn't for me because I wanted to be the best there was in the furniture business. And it was a driving force. And here's Jim asking me, what do I love more, people or furniture? And I said, well, let me think about it. And I came back, you know, about 
three, four, five days later, whatever it was, and we were having lunch and we were talking about it. I said, well, there's no question. It's it's people that I love more. Right. And because of that question, it sent me out on a different journey in life. Uh, did I still want to be good at furniture? Yeah, I did. But what became more important to me was to be great at people, uh, starting with myself and and uh, then learning about others, how to serve others, how to lead others. You know, how to be part of teams and, uh, you know, how to make the people equation work with inside of organizations. Now, was, was that uh, uh, difficult for you, Howard? Were, uh, prior to that insight, were you, uh, until then, uh, still a gregarious person? Did you like people or did you have to struggle with that? No, no, I like people. I was the outgoing, gregarious, and, and, you know, I was unconscious about it. You know, I was just kind of floating along being Howard. And, um, and you know what happened with that question was it it kind of made me it, well it did it made me more interested in learning about what makes us tick you know what makes great leaders and so I became a voracious student of leadership and of people and of course you know you got to start with yourself you know that word leadership we kind of get it confused sometimes we, we when we say that word leadership we always think well we're leading others right. We're, we're now in charge of other people. But the truth of the matter is uh, leadership uh, primarily is about leading yourself. And so, uh, if you have to do that well first before you really can lead others. So you arrive at Starbucks, and uh, it's a smallish business. It's got 20, 30 stores. Right. And by the time you're named president, you, you, you've got this thing to 400 stores, just astronomical growth. I mean, incredible growth. Were there, were there, was there a design behind what got that growth, or were you just holding on tight while this thing, this rocket ship, took off? Well, you know, we had a design, uh, but you know, usually the design never held true. You know, it's like building a house. You know, you got endless change orders, and uh, we had an endless series of change orders because we didn't know, we didn't know. I mean, we knew a lot. By the time I got there, I was in, you know, my mid forties, so. Uh, and um, another guy named Orrin Smith, he, we were about the same age. And, you know, we knew where the rocks were in the river, you know, and we knew there were rocks there. Many of the people in the organization didn't understand that there were rocks in the river. They thought that, you know, you just get in the boat, get in the river, and, you know, you start paddling. And, you know, you know, you know the, the current takes you with it, but you know, with it. But uh, it's not the way that it is. You know, there are many times when the you know the current just stops, and you got to figure out what's going on. And so, you know, being a little bit older, having made uh, plenty of errors along the way, and and uh, you know, learning about you know how to make organizations work really helped in those early days of Starbucks. So, uh, when you look back now in retrospect, um, can you pick out two or three things that? were the real drivers of, of, of your success, that early success? Well, you know, in any or any business you compete on multiple levels. You know, it's it's not just about your product. Your product has to be good. But, you know, the primary thing at Starbucks was all about the people. I mean, uh, we needed great people, and we seemed to all, we were always behind the eight ball in, in, in bringing people into the organization because we were growing so fast that we were outgrowing a lot of the skill sets of our people including leadership including me you know i had to grow fast too i had to learn every day and 
um, you know, the, the people that couldn't learn every day kind of fell by the wayside, and uh, the ones that could, you know, stayed with it. And then we always were bringing people in from the outside simply because we were growing so quickly. So, you know, that's the number one thing, people. And then, you know, the, the other things are, you know, you compete on capital. We had to raise lots of money to open as many stores as we were opening. And we had to figure out how to make it work. We had to figure out organization structures. And, you know, we had lots of help along the way, um, uh, sometimes consultants, sometimes just talking to other business people that had been down the path before, you know, helped us a lot. So, But primarily it was about people. I mean, that, that was the number one thing, is the number one thing, will always be the number one thing. One of the things that uh, that we talk about a lot in predictable success are the development of, of um, big dogs as the company is going through its early stage growth. You know, you get people who are really loyal and spend a lot of time with the company and really devote themselves to it. But then at some point, um, uh, sometimes the the needs of the company outgrows their management skills or their leadership skills. And as you said a moment ago, sometimes you've got, you got to let people go. That can be incredibly painful uh, when you realize that somebody who helped get you here isn't going to help get you there. Did you face any of that as you were growing with your folks? Oh, sure. I mean, that that was constant. And, you know, what you tried to do was get them into a place that fit them without destroying uh, who they were, you know, and how they felt about themselves. Now, you know, many times uh, people could do that, and they understood. And and actually, they were relieved because they were in such tremendous under such tremendous stress that they knew that they weren't making it and just not only didn't have the skill sets, didn't have the desire to gain the skill sets because, it, you know, that's the most of it. I, I never really met anybody in my life that didn't want to succeed, didn't want to do a good job. Um, many people just didn't have the the energy to uh, to reinvent themselves. And along the way, you know, there were many people that uh, needed to leave the organization. And, you know, you always do that with respect for the individual in mind. I mean, you know, no surprises is what I like to say is if you're staying on top of it and you're always having conversations with your people, you don't wait for review time. You know, review time is every day, both for your people and for yourself. You know, they're reviewing you every day. And so uh, if people know where they are all the time, usually there are no surprises for them. I mean, once in a while, you know, somebody, you know, not listening you know, not dealing with reality, but that was so few and far between, it, it wasn't an issue. Most people, uh, I like to say, drew the four clubs themselves. They realized they weren't making it and either wanted to do something where they could be successful or they wanted to leave the organization. Yeah, I, I love the point you made there that uh, so often, uh, I think particularly for founder owners, but but really for anybody, um, their, their, their heart's in their mouth when they think they've got to go talk to someone about that degree of uh, reorientation just to say to somebody, you know what, I, I'm just so appreciative of all that you've done, but uh, I don't think this is the best place for you right now. But the point you made that so often the individual knows it, and it's a great sense of relief and to be able to move them sideways, um, or help them out, and it helps the, the business get back on the growth track as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, very often a fast-growing company that, that goes through the sort of early growth that, that, that you helped engineer in Starbucks um, hits a point where, you know, all of the systems and processes that, that are needed to manage complexity 
begin to overwhelm the sense of entrepreneurial spirit. In, in, in predictable success, we call it whitewater, um, right. where the business has been just been real fun. You're building the myths and legends, and and uh, you know the, you're just so flexible. You turn on a, di- a dime, and then someday you realize, you know what? We're we're really beginning to get a little arthritic here and creaky, and 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 we're beginning to lose our innovative edge. What 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 did you do? First of all, did you did you experience a phase like that at Starbucks, and uh, um, what was that like for you? Yeah, it wasn't just one time; it was mm-hmm. multiple times. And you know, we grew from being a little, you know, small twenty-eight store business to, you know, today there's fifteen thousand stores. Trust me, you hit white water. You know, you you hit white water all the time. The difference is, the longer you're there, the more you know that white water's coming. You may not know exactly where it is, but you're prepared for the fact that you're going to hit white water. And so you can kind of look out over the horizon a little bit and you say, oh, oh something's coming. And that doesn't mean you don't hit the water. You do. Right. You know, it's just incredibly difficult not to. I mean, um, you're just going to. And um, But you feel comfortable in it. You know what I mean? Once you've hit white water a few times, you feel comfortable with the fact that you're going to get through it. Right. And we did all the time. I mean, uh, you know, when we started, when I started, there were 28 stores. You know, when we hit about 100 stores, we hit Whitewater because all of a sudden our people were saying, God, we're getting too big. We can't communicate with each other. So we had to develop uh, better communication tools. How were we going to communicate? Uh, we hit about 200 stores. All of a sudden, uh, we'd had a little mission statement, but people were starting to uh, become disconnected with it and didn't understand it anymore. So we had to get together and, and talk about it and what we were going to do. And then, of course, processes and systems, uh, particularly technology, you know, computer systems. How could we just keep track of our sales and our inventory and all of those things? I mean, you know, we never caught that. I, I don't think even today they've caught it. Uh, exactly. I mean, we're much better at it today than we were, but uh, it, it's everything. It's it's not one thing. It's it's you know people systems. Uh, you know, when you're hiring as many people as we were hiring, you know, we went from when I started there were a couple hundred people in total to very quickly, you know, we were at ten thousand. Well, mm-hmm. you know, just payroll systems, everything. It, it it's uh, everything was giving stress all the time. Because we were growing so quickly, and now it's fine. You know, I'm not. I don't complain about it. You know, it was it was a, it was a kick, and uh, you know, because it was always interesting. You know, you're always solving solving problems, and uh, that's fun. And did you go back to the? You, you mentioned there that uh, one of the stages that you know the mission statement maybe got a little bit out of touch with who you are, and uh, people. Stopped feeling, I guess, strongly aligned around it. So you had to rework that. Did, did you go that far back uh, to the basics uh, more than once? You know, rethink who you are as an organization. Yeah, we were always asking ourselves the question: What business are we in? And it actually, you, you would say, well, your name is Starbucks Coffee. You were in the coffee business, but you know. It was my belief that we weren't in the coffee business. Coffee was our art. It was our music. It was our literature. It was where we expressed our creativity, and certainly we uh, served cups of coffee. But uh, we recognized very quickly that we were in the people business. 
instead of being in the coffee business serving people, we understood we were in the people business serving coffee. And that was a huge change uh, in the organization. That became part of our mission statement, that we recognized that it was all about people. Uh, not only people that worked in the organization and the skills that they needed to have and, you know, n- not only skills, but how they needed to be supported and cared for, and, but the people that we were serving, those human beings that came into our stores every day. And, you know, it wasn't just about a cup of coffee for them either. It was about a place, about, you know, they were doing something for themselves. And so, you know, we were constantly working on that, and, and that went to the mission statements, you know, um uh, they weren't uh, huge differences, but they were uh, kind of directional differences of how we spent our resources and our time and how we thought about ourselves. And so it was really important for us to always be thinking about that. And then uh, pushing that, excuse me, pushing that down, uh, that, that sense of, of being about the people, pushing that down right down to the baristas, the the, the store managers, you know, in, in 5,000, 10,000 stores, um, that must have begun to feel like an, a, a, just an awesome hill to climb to um, when the organization's small, you can you know almost see everybody, touch everybody. That's one thing. But um, did you ever feel, you know, gosh, we're in danger of just losing it here? Oh, yeah, there were many times. I mean, many times. I mean, you know, I don't think in, in uh, the 15-plus years that I was in an operating position, I don't think I ever had a night that I slept. You know, it's constant, constant anxiety, you know, and and wanting to make sure you're doing the right things right and and staying with it. And, you know, I, you know, I don't ever think, I mean, we, we were very good at celebrating. We celebrated sometimes, but uh, probably if we had a great weakness, it was that lack of celebration. But that was probably the thing that saved us, you know. That book by um, uh, the guy that ran Intel, Only the Paranoid Survive. Well, we fit that book perfectly. Perfectly, we were always paranoid about where we were and what we were doing, and uh, uh, but it was exciting. Let me tell you, Andy Grove's book, a great book. Um, well, on that time, on that note, um, on all the time that you were there, hard. What, what was your biggest personal challenge? What what, what faced you uh, and, and stared you down uh, and most concerned you? Uh, how to communicate effectively with people across uh, multiple states, multiple countries. How how was I able to get the message across to the people of what we were about and what we stood for, and do it in a consistent manner that everybody could understand and everybody could uh, be part of. Um, you know, everybody needed to be attached to the cause, mm-hmm. and that was my primary job. I mean, I you know, my job was to make sure that that everybody understood what, why we were there, what role they played, you know, in, in this journey we were on, and um, and how they could make the organization a success. And I had to really work at that. I I probably gave the same speech a thousand times, maybe using different words and different examples, but it was always basically the same speech. And that was my people speech. It's about it's about us serving other human beings and. Uh, so that you know that was the biggest thing for me. It wasn't you know how to get stores clean, although that was an issue. It wasn't uh you know how to get how to get the numbers to the bottom line, although that was an issue. It was it was really how do you how do you keep an organization together? How do you keep 
people together on the same journey and how do you keep the passion, hope, and dreams alive of, of an organization? Uh, one, of, one of the things you said that really resonated with me hard, uh, you know, when I'm talking to leaders, uh, I, I tell them that when it comes to communication, you can't undervalue repetition, just saying right. the same thing over and over and over. And uh, I, I say to folks, you know, at the point whenever you feel physically nauseous about the idea of saying this thing again, when you just feel sick of the words, then it's probably beginning to get across to folks. That's right. Did you just literally do this physically, get on planes, go around, talk to people? Is that oh. Was that the way it worked, or did you use technology? I mean, how, how did you practically get your message out over and over and over again? We used everything we could get our hands on, from, from voicemail systems to, uh, you know, to emails to, you know, uh, physically getting on airplanes and going and do it. But there is no substitute. I don't care what you do for face-to-face. That's number one. Boy, and I i was gone all the time. I traveled 70% of the time. And what I did was go listen and talk with people. That's all. That was my job. You know, I listen to what they said. I take their ideas, try to, if it made sense, I'd bring it back, integrate it into the organization. And then I'd repeat what they said to me back to them. But but you are absolutely right. When if you if you think you know you get bored, right, saying what you need to say, right, mm-hmm. just figure out a way around that and keep doing it again because you're a hundred percent right. Leaders leaders get bored much faster with their message than the people do, and and you need to stay with it. And the people forget. You know, we all forget. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I always tell people, hey, you know, I don't have a, I don't have anything new to tell you, but I'm going to tell you again what I believe in. Well, in your in your book, which is a great book uh, for the folks that's listening, that are listening, it's called not, it's not about the coffee leadership principles from a life at Starbucks. You can get it on Amazon and uh, any good bookstore. Just a great, great book. I recommend it to any manager in any organization. One of the things that you talk about that really spoke to me is uh, the whole issue of accountability. And uh, you talk about it in a way that I paraphrased as being uh, faithful to the truth. Um, Can you talk a bit more about that uh, for us, Howard? Why why did that become uh, strong enough an issue for you to make it one of the ten principles in your book? And, And when you think about people being accountable, you know, what does that mean to you? Well, you know, I, the, the title of it was Only the Truth Sounds Like the Truth. And it, all too often uh, we struggle with the truth. And because the truth is not always easy to come by. You know, you have to dig down and you have to dig into the earth and, and search it out. And uh, when you find it, you have to be willing to deal with it. And you have to be able, willing to communicate authentically and transparently to your people about, you know, what you see. And you have to listen to them. And it, it becomes a, the truth becomes a two-way street, so to speak. And um, all too often, people don't want to do that. You know, they want to avoid pain. We all want to avoid pain. It's, you know, I'm the same as anybody else. You know, uh, I remember when that when that little quote came. Uh, came to me. I was dealing with an issue of um, where we were going to, it was a company that I was leading that we were going to have to go through layoffs. And um, uh, 
this was before the advent of, com of computers. We had word processors, and my administrative assistant had typed up the layoff list, and unfortunately, the head of human resources had left it on top of the uh, copy machine. Mm. Uh, and uh, that night, somebody got all, saw it and got a hold of it, and, of course, the drums beat. And I had just become president of this company about uh, three months before that, and I thought, oh, God, how am I going to deal with this? You know, And I was scared to death, and, and um, I called my leadership team together early the next morning, and I said, what do we do? And, you know, we had the usual suspect answers. Uh, you know, well, just tell them we were just it's not really, the, you know, we're really not going to do that. We're just thinking about it. And um, and I kept being uncomfortable with that. And then my administrative assistant, a woman named Lori Christmas, said to me, she just looked at me. She just kind of poked at me in my shoulder. And she said, Howard, only the truth sounds like the truth. And I said, Lori, you're right. And uh, we called a company meeting. I laid it all out. I said, here's what we know. All right, here's what we don't know. And, uh, and um uh, here's where we're going, and uh, it was amazing what happened. People just stood up, and um, uh, and all all came together and said, "How do we help? How can we how can we help you in this process? Even though we might be laid off, we need to know how we can help because we we." We want to do that, and I would have never believed in a million years that that would have happened. And it was story. a fabulous lesson for me. I mean, it Absolutely. was one of the one of the you know you get these lessons along the way in life. It was a key lesson, and I just said, okay, that's the way I am going to live my life, one hundred percent. It wasn't that I didn't tell the truth, but on these kinds of things, sometimes you wonder, you know, what do you share? But boy, that was a valuable lesson. And from then on, I just said, okay. That's it. I'm going to trust, even even if it costs me, even if someday people stand up and say we hate you, <laughs> you know, or we don't trust you, or we don't like you, and you shouldn't be here. Fine, I can deal with that. Which of the uh, of the other key principles that you got ten of them in? Uh, it's not about the coffee. Uh, which do you think is the most underrated? Oh, uh, I would say. Um, most underrated. That's an interesting question. I think the one that people struggle with the more with the most is uh, I call it listening to the walls talk. Right. And what that's about is uh, listening uh, without your ears. Right. It's not the listening that we do when people are talking with us. It's the listening that we do with the antenna that are up that are in our head, the ones that we can't see. And it's 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 an awareness that we develop over time as we live our lives of what's going on. You know, it's uh, sometimes it's just being uncomfortable. It's a knot in the stomach. You know, right. I used to go in when I was running furniture stores. I used to go into the furniture stores and I used to crawl in on my hands and knees. <laughs> right. Trying to get a feel for what was going on in the store, get a different view. Sometimes I would close the store and I would go sit in the middle of the store in a chair and I'd close my eyes and I would just listen. And nobody was in the store. I know this sounds strange, you know, and a lot of people say, oh, you're crazy, Howard. But, you know, I challenge you. Sometimes when you're going to a friend's house and they say, can I get you a drink? Say, yeah, I'll have a drink. Just go sit in their living room and close your eyes while they're not there. 
and you can kind of feel what's going on in the house. And right. I used to get so good at it, walking into stores, right? I could feel what was going on in the store. You know, like if there was underlying tension, or yeah, if there was underlying uh, tension or something, and it's a strange, but it's what I call listening to the walls talk. You know, it's like developing a presence and, and yeah. just being in the now. And the, of course, the, 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 the it sounds almost too obvious to mention, but you can't do that if you if you think you can be a leader or a manager by just sitting in your office. You That's right. Out. You have to be out there. Great stuff. Hard. Uh, just in closing, tell us a little bit about what life is like for you now. What What are the challenges and goals that you have, uh, if I can call it post Starbucks? I have a fantastic life. You know, I I get to do all the wonderful things I want to do. I spend a lot of time uh, lecturing and speaking around the world uh, about what I believe in, and uh, that that leadership is about first leading yourself and maybe then leading others, and that we need to lead in a humanistic way. So I get to do that, and uh, I've been uh, doing some uh, teaching at uh, universities. I had a great opportunity last year to be the uh, leadership chair at the University of Washington School of Business, so I enjoyed that. I do a lot of coaching and mentoring, and particularly with Starbucks people along the way. So, you know, I, I, I get lots of gifts. I'm still serving on a number of boards, uh, uh, both nonprofit and for-profit boards, and the number one job that I love is being a grandpa to five wonderful little grandchildren. So. Oh, that's wonderful. That's excellent. You're feeling fulfilled in, in uh, every front then. I do feel fulfilled. You know, it wasn't easy making the transition from, uh, you know, getting that feedback every day to, you know, you don't get the same feedback when, when you're not out in the day-to-day -day activity of running a business. But but you learn to be comfortable with it and and, and believe that, that the work that you do has meaning. Well, thank you so much for being so generous with your time with us, Hard. We really appreciate it. And uh, for everybody that's listening, I know that you'll have got uh, uh, quite a few nuggets from our discussion. And uh, pay it forward. Uh, hop on Amazon.com. Get a copy of It's Not About the Coffee. It's a great, great book. And Hard, thank you so much and very best wishes for the future. Thanks, Les, for having me. Thank you.